Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is probably best known for his Doom type remixes of games, but he's recently composed four games such as Atomic Heart and Viscera Fest. He has had a meteoric rise over the years, which has been cool to follow. I'd like to welcome Jeffrey Day. How you doing, man? Hello. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah. So um, first question I want to know is, how did uh, the whole thing happen with Munfish and uh, Atomic Heart, right? Because you, yeah. you got an email out of nowhere, I'm guessing, yeah. summer 2022? Yes, it was completely out of nowhere. Actually, what's really funny is I thought they were spam at first. Uh, <laughs> I put them through the ringer because we, when you work with somebody, especially um, a company in the early days, they, they want you to sign a bunch of stuff like you know, NDAs and things just to make sure that like you're good to go. But the amount of information that you need to send, the amount of personal information you need to send in order to make sure that all those things are legally compliant uh, was a little bit too much for me at the beginning. And I was talking to a person who seemed like they worked at Munfish, but because everybody has, um, that nobody was really using Facebook or anything. So uh, I couldn't find them online. <laughs> and I was like, is this person real? Like they seem real. They seem nice. They're responsive. They have a little signature in their email. The company is real, but I can't find their name anywhere. And I was like, am I about to be bamboozled and like have my identity stolen? So yeah. I put them through the ringer. It took like a couple of days. And uh, eventually I got connected directly to an HR person. They were on LinkedIn. Everything was good. And I was like, okay, we can do this. <laughs> and then uh, I got going and I was just like, sorry, thank you for you know, letting me do that, but, uh, you know, better safe than sorry. Uh, I don't regret it because at the end of the day, the project worked out fine and, and they were willing to, you know, they didn't give up on me. They were like, yeah, sure. We'll do it. Like, what do you need? Uh, and it worked out for the best, but yeah, it was, it really did. I, I had a, it came out of nowhere and I had a hard time believing it was real because why would it, why would they I didn't think anybody yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Me in particular, like I had just done Viscera Fest. So like, I didn't think that that was a straight line connection and it wasn't, but I was just like, this doesn't make sense. So, you know, I was, uh, I just had to protect myself early, but you know, it is what it is. I get a lot of spam, a lot of, I'm sure other creators can agree. A lot yeah. of, uh, fake collaboration emails and things. So you just, uh, you got to double check your sources and stuff. So how many would you get on, on a daily, like fake requests? Oh, five, six a day. They just really? change the email. You can't block them because the email addresses keep changing. So it's just like, it's the same template format every single time. I'm sure I like, if you, if you were to take this clip of me saying that and, and I describe this email and you post it on Twitter, I'm sure people will be like, oh yeah, totally. I get these all the time. Like it's a, it's such a, it's just a format. And um, I know they're fake now. I'm just so used to it. But um, anytime something real comes through, I'm like, I'm not sure if they've like up to their game. You know what I mean? So I just have to be careful. That makes me wonder if a lot of people I reach out to, they, because obviously I get a lot, a lot of no replies and I'm wondering, I'm like, do they think that I'm spam or it goes into their spam folder? Yeah. yeah, maybe. I yeah. don't think so. The thing is, is like your emails don't look like spam. Like it's very obvious when because things don't match up in the spam emails. But yours are I mean, it's you. Your name is on everything. You have a signature like that's what I look for. And that's the reason I gave Munfish a chance is because everything checked out, except I couldn't find them online. And I was like, maybe this is I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on mm -hmm. that one. Um, you know, it's like it's it's different. I have expectations as an American working a lot with like American companies and kind of what I think I'm, I should be seeing, but like, I can't say the same for everybody across the world in terms of what they yeah. think, you know, appearing professional in their spaces and stuff. So like, I just have to take things with a grain of salt. Um, but they, 
the important part is that they were a real person. So that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, that is all that matters. So what was the direction that they gave you? Because obviously, did you have to do a demo first? Did they ask you to submit no, a demo? No, actually, they, really? they just, they reached out to me directly. So the part of, um, and I learned, you know, now that we're seeing the, the volume one soundtrack out, the, the number of different artists that are on there, sort yeah. of, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's the same story with all of them, which is, as far as I understand it anyway, they reached out to artists that they liked the sound of. And they asked them, hey, we would love for you to do something for our soundtrack. We, you already do things that we like. And so that was sort of what happened with me is they reached out to me and they said, you know, just like any of the other artists on the soundtrack, they said, we have these songs that we would love to have artists remix and, you know, we'll put them in the game. And uh, we like the stuff that you do. Do you want to do a couple of these? And I said, yeah, sure. So I, you know, I turned around a couple and, um, that was the whole thing. They didn't really give me, I don't think there was any intention to be like, here's the style that we want you to do it in. It's more like, you know, be aware it's going to be in the game, but we already like what you do. So like, we're not too worried about you turning around something that doesn't agree with our taste. Cause we already decided we like your music. So, um, that was, that was freeing, but also probably the most nerve wracking experience ever because, you know, I, I want it to fit in the game. I want it to, to make sense. And, um, you know, I had heard trailers and I've heard some other stuff. So I, I kind of had to use that as reference, but they gave me essentially totally free reign of like how I wanted to approach it, which I think is, is good and bad, you know? Yeah. Cause there's, there's some stuff that's original that you've written. And then there's some stuff that's remixed of like Russian songs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So did they give you a list and then you pick them or... How does it yes. work in, in terms of the stuff that you remix? So you just got given a list of Russian songs. And Pretty you, much. Yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, from what you hear, you know, almost all the songs that I heard on the soundtrack, I had already seen in that list. So I, I kind of, when, when we first started talking, they had approached me and they were like, we already know what songs we've licensed. You know, these are the songs we, we are going to probably use. And, um, you know, pick which ones you, you think you want to uh, remix. And what's really funny is I don't, I didn't know any of the songs. I didn't know who the artists were. I didn't know how famous any of the songs were. I just picked songs I liked, right? And it's so funny because I, I it's, this is a hindsight thing. After I picked the first couple of songs, I picked like two or three. Um, I remember being in the meeting and the, I was talking to uh, the director, Rob, and he just goes, hmm, interesting. You picked those. And it was like Trava Udoma and some of the other like super famous songs. And I'm like, I don't know. They sound good. <laughs> like <laughs> it's uh, I had to, I did some research later and I realized like, you know, what they were about. But it was just funny. Like you can sort of sense that these songs are going to be popular by how they sound, even though I can't understand the lyrics, just the composition of stuff. I was like, these are just good songs. Some of these are really good. And then it's like, oh yeah, no, that's one of the most famous songs actually. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> that makes no pressure. sense. Yeah, it's so strange. Yeah, so with the, uh, there's one track. Um, I don't even know how you pronounce it. What is it? Ziv Osnoleto? I'm probably that's, butchering that. Sorry to all the yeah. Russians. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But there were there was an original version, and then you dialed back a lot of the the instruments, right? You pulled or you took them out because it wasn't really working. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty early on. That was like you heard that in the in the trailer. They had, they had a long version of that in the trailer, and um, essentially what I did for all the remixes was I tried to start by removing the 
vocals from the original and then just rebuilding the entire instrumental. So it's the same vocals, totally different instrumental. There's no backing band from the original song. As we did it for the trailer, this was kind of like the one exception. As we did it for the trailer, there's this kind of natural pacing in the trailer where it starts off a little bit less actiony and then it sort of builds up into an action thing. And then at the very end, it gets like super loud. And there's a clip from a different song at the end of that. And I first did a version of the song that had no uh, original instrumentation. It was like pretty electronic and stuff like that. And they kind of liked it. But then once it started getting into the trailer, it didn't fit the pacing as well. It was just kind of heavy and loud the whole time. And then also um, there were some improvements that I felt I could make to the song just to get the vibe right. Because once I actually saw it, this is like, I think the downside of doing things with no context at all is like, you just kind of take your best guess and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And this one sort of worked. So when I, when I uh, went back and kind of addressed it with the trailer, I now had some trailer footage. So when I went back and I did the trailer version, um, I tried to factor in some of the original in the beginning. And the, honestly, like the way that the original song sounds, it sounds pretty old school. Like it's mixed very old school. It's, it, it, it's almost like a, an old record kind of sound and everything's sort of just placed in a weird spot. And, um, the, the instruments don't come through. It's not a very full mix. It's a very kind of sparse. This is the original song, very sparse and, um, kind of light. It's supposed to be sort of like a summery song. It's called the starry summer is like how it's literally translated. And, uh, it was kind of a, a pretty good vibe actually. Once we, once I did like a half and half at the beginning, and then as it moves through the song, those pieces just start get taken out, you know, as the verses kind of go through it, you know, I replace things more with electronic parts and then eventually we get to the end. Um, and that's sort of the version that we ended up with at the, uh, in the soundtrack is, is the one that works with the trailer pacing. So it's got this natural buildup. Um, and, uh, you know, with, the pace of which we were doing these songs and, and the kind of the time limits that we had, you know, maybe there was another way that we could have approached it for the soundtrack or, or, you know, outside of the trailer. But by the time the trailer song was finished and by the time we extended it, you know, we were just kind of off and running. So we, we just said, okay, good. Sounds great. You know, we'll use that later. You've got a bunch of other songs to do. Let's do those. And I think it sounds fine. Um, people really like it regardless of like maybe the, the way in which it was approached. Um, you know, as a perfectionist, I would want to change a million things, but you know, you just have as to accept it. It's on the soundtrack now. So, yeah. So how much time did you get between each song then? Oh man. So I, when I first started working with them, I don't know if you remember this, but they put out a trailer that had like a release date that was sort of this bunch of asterisks and, you know, it could have been November or could have been December or something like That's that. Right. And let's, that let's assume the latest possible date, which is December, which is like most studios would probably opt for that. Um, I, when I started working with them, it was already pretty, it was like, you know, approaching fall, um, you know, midsummer and we started a conversation like, okay, how much time do you think I have? And they're like, well, you saw the release date. So everything is kind of an ASAP situation. And I was just like, okay, cool. So I ended up <laughs> in terms of pacing, I ended up turning around a song about a song every 10 days i'd say so almost every single one of those That's is like less good. than two weeks mixed master done chunked out for the game uh i got really burnt out <laughs> like it's not that's not a pace you should have to sustain and but it was a limited number of tracks and i really wanted to 
show my stuff and, and be on the soundtrack. I had no sense of how much other music would be in there. I just thought, well, they keep liking my music. I'm going to keep trying to work on the music. And um, if they want more stuff, I'll turn it around. And the release date is not too far away at first. And they, um, I, I just kept going. And, uh, you know, we turned around all these tracks. And then, of course, you know, with that tight timing, there's always things where, you know, they say you can't rush art, but like you can, but it's like with trade-offs, right? Like the trade-offs are, you know, as I start moving very quickly, I find myself using some things that I've used in other projects or, um, you know, I'm not templating stuff, but I'm, there's, there's a, there's maybe some writing things that I'm like, I could have done that better. Or I, you know, I could have paid a little more attention to detail on this at the end of the day. I don't think it mattered that much in the soundtrack, but it's more of a personal thing for me, which is like, if I had been given twice as much time, who knows what I could have done. Right. But, um, I know that I can turn it around quickly in that case. Uh, and if that's what they need from me, if they need me to turn things around super fast, I totally can. I just have to take a long break after so I can kind of recover and, you know, get back to a normal pace. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cause did you do the mixing or did Mick do the mixing and mastering? Like who, who did that? Do you know? No, I think as far as I can tell any, as I understand it, um, everyone on the soundtrack so far did their own mixing. And in the game, actually, I think a lot of the tracks are the original mixes. As far as I can tell anyway, from my music, the stuff that people are game ripping out sounds like the stuff that I sent them. So I'm guessing like, you know, they took my mixes for, for my music anyway. And they were like, that sounds pretty good. So they put that in there and then they're using, you know, the audio interface, like the middleware, and they, they can probably make adjustments and they've got stems and all that stuff. Um, but in terms of the soundtrack, uh, they did do their own mastering for the whole soundtrack, which is good because it's kind mm. of like a nice consistent yeah. um, thing. So that's, uh, that's the extent of it. That's a, as far as I know for my own music. I can't speak for anybody else. Um, I just know that that's what happened to mine. Yeah. So did you reach out to Mick Gordon at any point? for like sample overlap or anything? So um, in terms of, I guess the two things are like, did I talk to Mick and did we work together? Um, I had talked to Mick just briefly and no, we did not work together. Uh, we actually didn't overlap in terms of the, uh, when we were working on music uh, for the project. Cause I came in super late. Yeah. You know, like yeah, all yeah. this, all this, the fast music stuff that I was doing, like that was just like the majority of the music that wasn't mine. It sounds like it was already sort of wrapped up. So, um, no, we didn't overlap and, um, I hadn't heard any of his music until the release. So, um, you know, I didn't really have stuff to work with except for trailers and things. So, you know, again, it was all just kind of my best guess in terms of, uh, you know, what I thought should match. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, after, after seeing stuff in the game, I think it sounds pretty good. I think, I think it's, uh, you know, for somebody who came in sort of blind and, and, looked at the game and listened to the soundtracks like i think it sounds okay it doesn't sound like things are totally out of place or anything like that so it's like good on them for for picking the right folks and uh building a sound yeah i mean i've got to be honest because i didn't i didn't know you were on the project till late in the piece right so any yeah. of the middle tracks i just thought it was mac i mean which is yeah. a testament <laughs> to you because i think that's still the case now some people are mistaking some of um your stuff as mix yeah totally yeah no and that makes sense though i've people have been asking me like how do you feel about folks just mislabeling your songs? And I'm like, well, why wouldn't they? Because they don't know that I'm on the soundtrack, right? Like they, uh, mix name was on a lot of the marketing leading up to it. So it's kind of this natural. And of course, like he's coming off of the, the soundtrack with doom and people are sort of associating that heavy, you know, electronic metal sound with the Mick Gordon music. And they were hoping to hear more on atomic heart. 
And so if anybody does any of that, that sounds even close. They're going to go, oh yeah, Mick crushed it, right? Like, <laughs> and that totally makes sense. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, I think some some folks were, I hope anyway, were pleasantly surprised to see that it was my name. Now, people in my Patreon already knew because I, you know, I, course, I, uh, yeah. I keep a small circle, but like the wider um, community, you know, while they're playing the game, there's no way that they would know. IGN and some of the other reviewers who did stuff before the soundtrack came out over and over, you know, called out that that boss fight with the heavy metal music. And uh, they were like, this Mick Gordon soundtrack is awesome. And the Mick Gordon soundtrack is awesome, but that particular song was mine, right? And yeah, so yeah. I just think it's funny. Um, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's a good... I look up to... as Mixed musicianship is something that I... He's just so far beyond anything that I can do. And I look up to him a lot. And so people even though i think between like mick and i we know that we sound very different but some folks may associate things a little bit closer and making that mistake i don't know as a as somebody who looks up to mick um it does feel good um but uh, i just want those folks to know that like if mick did it it would be 10 times better <laughs> like it's you know I, i'm 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 still a baby in this space so well, I think I think you're being a bit humble about it but uh i mean i i, I mis mistook it as uh as mix but when you see the subtleties when you hear the subtleties you can tell the difference between your two styles when you when you yeah, pay attention yeah, sure. closely yeah 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 so it's yeah. good so was there overlap with you working on atomic heart and viscera fest any overlap or was yeah it... at first really yeah oh, so dude, I that was must have been halfway... brutal yeah well it was brutal <laughs> and that's why i said i was kind of burning out because um it's a situation where i'm in the middle of a project right and i in a perfect world i would like to say I can only do one project at a time because I think that's like a healthy pace. And uh, I think the situation with Atomic Heart was special because, you know, I I knew Mick was on the soundtrack and I'm a fan and my whole community is a fan. And I didn't want to say no to it despite having another project, right? So when Viscera Fest came up, um, when Viscera Fest came up, I, I talked to my the the contact I was working with, Noah, and I was like, hey, I just got an email about this. I don't know if I can do both projects at the exact same time, but like maybe we can slow the pace down a little bit so I can figure out what's going on with them and whatever. And he was super nice about it and was like, sure, if you need to take a little bit of time, it's cool. We're on pace to release this in time and whatever. And uh, it, all, it all sort of worked out for the best. But yeah, there was like, you know, I would... I would do a couple of tracks for Atomic Heart and then I would like wait a week or two and then I'd go back to Viscera Fest and I would knock out a few, you know, a track or two from that and I would sort of switch off. Um, and then during the holiday, um, when did the Viscera Fest thing come out? October? Oh, it was October. So yeah, so I was still a little bit early in Atomic Heart. Um, so that was like the pace hadn't really started to ramp up yet and luckily in Atomic Heart. So um I would get slower replies and things like that. They weren't rushing to get the game out yet. And uh, it gave me a little bit of time to, to switch between them. But yeah, context switching is really hard because I've got two totally different sounds, two yeah. different soundtracks, two sets of projects. So that was, yeah, that was challenging. My, my mom's like, I haven't seen you in six months. I'm like, I know, <laughs> like, I hope this, I hope I'll be done with this soon. Yeah, it was like, I was a, I was a little, I was a hermit for a while, um, you know, uh, not not something that you should do on a regular basis, but sometimes the opportunity comes knocking and you just have to make it work. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Because uh, do you get a bit of imposter syndrome at 
at times where you're just like, I am not, I'm not ready for this or, or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I still, yeah. To this day, I still do all the time. A project I'm working on right now um, that hasn't, that's not out yet. Um, I'm listening to it and just going, this is dumb. Like <laughs> people are going to hate this. Right. But like, I don't know that. And I have to just get over that. Um, I feel like that every time I do a cover of a song, I think that I haven't done a good enough job. I'm, I, I hear the, the purist, like the angel devil thing. Like one of them is a, is a music purist and they go, no, that's a terrible idea. Why would you ever make a song that sounds like that? Especially <laughs> I actually get real comments like that sometimes when I do, um, you know what it is? It's the, the from soft covers like Elden ring and bloodborne and stuff uh, like that. Yeah. Oh my God. I make some people very angry by doing a metal version of that song and it, it's uh, or any of those songs. And uh, I just think it's so funny, but I hear those voices echo in the back of my head when I'm working on anything, you know, like um, I never, I have to sort of trust that sometimes the, the, you know, the mean tweets or the mean comments or things, or, or even people just having a negative reaction to something oftentimes are a sort of loud minority. They're not yeah, yeah. necessarily representative of, you know, everybody else. Um, and I just, I just try to keep that in mind. Um, and I try not to make my personality and my, my life all about being accepted by other people. Cause I feel like that's not the most healthy way to go about it. Like if, if whether a song, if a song does well or not, if people like it or not, uh, if that determines, if I, if I feel like I deserve to take care of myself someday, like, I feel like that's just a, a spiral downward. You know, I have to sort of detach a little bit from the way that people choose or not choose to consume, you know, the music that I make. So, um, and I'm still getting used to that. It's, it's a very different life. I'm, uh, I'm still trying to find healthy ways to balance, you know, to, to be less worried about acceptance on the internet as a, as somebody who has an audience, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a skill that people just in, inherently have. I think they have to practice that or I think they do anyway. No, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of composers now. And they pretty much echo exactly what you're saying. They have the whole yeah. imposter syndrome. And this, these are people that have been in the industry for years, right? And they're doing like these, all these massive games and stuff. So yeah, I wouldn't beat yourself up over it. I think it's, I think it's very common. I think particularly yeah. with creatives, I think we can be quite sensitive, particularly when you see a negative comment, right? You could see like 30 positive comments and then you see that one negative, uh, negative comment <laughs> and that, that will be the one that sticks with you exactly yeah it's it's bad it's it's like it it is uh unfair to all the nice folks who write nice comments because i'm thinking about the negative one more and i shouldn't i should be trying to address all the positivity as much as possible but that's not it seems like that's not how human brains work which is no kind of it's, it's just human nature yeah so i yeah. think i think as a as a species we i don't know if we'll ever adjust to the whole social media thing in terms of negative no. comments versus positive comments but it is what no. it is yeah 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 but some people probably don't know that you have a software engineering background and you're a people manager which is I, yes. quite different from what you're doing now yeah yeah but yes. is, was there any way to translate some of that stuff into the musical space that you're in yeah i think so um yes so the specific background was i was a, a software engineer and a software engineering lead for um, quite a few years. And then I moved into being a, a product manager, which is basically just telling software engineers what they should be working on. And, um, you know, various sizes of companies, some some pretty large companies. And, and right before I moved into music, I was in a, a pretty small company. 
And I'd say the stuff that I had to get over pretty quickly, which I took with me into my music career was uh, I had to kind of dial down the perfectionism quite a bit because you can't delegate and trust other people on your team if you are too much of a perfectionist because you want to micromanage everybody. You're afraid that if you give someone work, they're not going to do as good enough job as you will do, even though you don't have a good reference for if you're doing a good job or not. It's mostly you're just afraid that you can't control the situation. Yeah. And I had to learn how to like not do that. Um, you know, as a as a hands-on, I guess, creator in this case of code, but you know, something like that. And uh, so that was that was one. It's like kind of just trusting the process, trusting the people, trying to understand where they come from as as team players. And uh, that it helped me, I think it helped me in my social life a lot too, because I could just relax. Like it just, it's a better just skill to be able to just trust people on a more regular basis and, and only react when something goes wrong as opposed to assuming the worst, um, which I, you know, I think it's made my life better that way. And then the, the, um, actually I took a note about this. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So the second, the second thing is that, uh, I have, especially the product management role. Um, I realized that people don't always see stuff the way that you see it, even if you explain it. And that can be kind of challenging if you're trying to work together on something. This is just good for collaboration in general. It's like, if you have a vision and you say, hey, I want you to do this part of this vision that I have, even if you explain everything down to a T, they're probably still not gonna give you back what you imagined. And so trying to either show things instead of you know talking about it or, or maybe just being like, whatever they want is actually my vision now, you know, absorbing, like being, making it collaborative on purpose. Um, and again, like avoiding that micromanagement stuff. I think that has been really helpful. And I've done a bunch of collaborations on my YouTube channel. And I just have to remember that, you know, working with Baina or working with um, the Maniac Agenda or working with uh, Alex Rowe, I just did, or David Levy, like all of those people have their own way of doing something. And even if I'm the one who arranges the song, it's really not up to me to decide what they think is best. And once they do something that they think is best, unless there's something technically wrong with it or something that you know makes it impossible to continue working, uh, I say yes, this is good. This is their contribution. They know better than me in this case, and you know I'm going to put it together and make it sound the best I can. And um, that's stuff that I think directly came from working with folks in a non-musical way. You know, the whole goal is to get things done. Yeah. So, yeah. Fair enough. Do you sometimes wonder what would have happened if COVID had never hit? Because that's part of the reason why you ended up doing what you're doing, right? You had a bit of downtime yeah. during COVID because of all the lockdowns. Do you think you right. still, will have, still would have ended up on this path? Um, no, probably not. Really? You know, I, I, I think the, the part that was lucky for me, it didn't feel lucky at the time because I was, during COVID, I was unemployed for most of that year. And I was just burning cash because, you know, I didn't have a job. I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is an incredibly expensive town uh, because I used to work in tech. And um, I was just like, I need to, I've got some time and everything's locked down and I can't apply for jobs or anything. So I don't know. I'll just make some music, stay sane, figure something out. And if you go back in my YouTube catalog, it's all Final Fantasy yeah, that's remixes right. in different, yeah, in different styles. And at that point, I didn't really know what my angle was. I didn't know what people wanted to hear. I didn't know what I was interested in. I just was experimenting with a bunch of stuff. And I was doing a song a week. You know, I was just, I had nothing else to do. I was just doing it full time. And without that process, without that discovery process, 
I wouldn't have had, I think, two very important things happen. The first is I wouldn't have tried enough styles to ever get to seeing that people liked the metal stuff the most, which I didn't expect because I just assumed orchestral, <clears throat> excuse me, that orchestral or like some some lighter, maybe more EDM type stuff that people were into because like, you know, heavy metal is not really on the radio. You don't hear it in a lot of soundtracks except for Doom. And I didn't expect it to work. And then I did like a Final Fantasy VII kind of Doom style mix. And that one, in terms of comparison to how well, how, how many people listened to it, that one was did far away better than anything else. And I was like, there might be something here. So then I went back and I, I tried another song and it did really well again. And then I changed my video format. It did really well again. And none of that stuff would have happened if I didn't have enough time to try a bunch of different styles. Then the one other thing that changed was I was about to switch again. I uh, The Doom style mixes started to do really well. And then I like announced on my Twitter that I was going to do a bunch of these like, what if X was in this style, but it wasn't Doom. It was just a bunch of different styles. And uh, my friend Alex McCalla, the YouTuber. He's awesome, by the way. Said, yeah, he's... I love him so much. He's yeah. he's such a wonderful person, um, very talented. And uh, he said, no, you probably shouldn't switch. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, look, people have been uh, in positions like this a lot and and kind of stumbled because they they couldn't nail down something. And, you know, the brand kind of recognition comes with time and repetition. And he was totally right. I just, I, I just said, sure, I'll, I'll keep doing it a bunch of times, and, and look, kind of like, look where things are now. You know, I think that piece of advice was maybe the single best career advice I think I've ever gotten, which was like, don't jump around too much, pick something and stick with it for a while, give people a chance to, to understand what you're about. That was life changing. I, mm. I, uh, I think that that really applies to a lot of stuff. And you know what? It took some time, right? But uh, it was the. Figuring out what has traction and then sticking with it and just actually sticking with it, that formula, um, I think, is is the right one if you want to grow an audience, I think. If I were to try again from scratch, I, I would maybe approach it the same way. Mm. So would you would you nice. take Alex out to lunch and be like, thanks, buddy? Yeah. You <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm ever in Europe, I totally would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's got to be a situation where I'll get out there someday. I'm oh, sure. Like, he's, yeah. He's, he's around at conferences and, you know, tour. I see there was a... I like fanboy a little bit when I see him meeting up with like Austin Wintory and some of the other like really cool composers. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I want to be there. It's so cool. You know, these guys, everybody's so great and so nice. Yeah. What do you think about all the AI technology that's being used with uh, music? I mean, I know you've played around with Moises. I've played around with Moises. Yeah. It's real cool. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And it, but it's it's scary at the same time because you don't know where this technology is going to go. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a lot of conversation around AI art too. And I think that that one's maybe a more upfront version of the conversation. Um, when it comes to AI tools, like like the stem splitting tools, like the Moises and um, I use some other ones as well. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with those. I think it's really cool technology. And in fact, it enabled a lot of the stuff, like without those tools, the mixes I did for Atomic Heart wouldn't exist. They, you need those types of tools to get pieces uh, get clean cuts of things that never existed before that you'll never be able to get otherwise. I think that's really cool. Uh, the AI conversation that people are having in both the music and the art world right now that I do think is worrisome is the one that is about creative concept. It's like, would you let an AI tool write a song for you? Would you let it write your article? Would you let it draw your entire 
you know, base painting of something, right? Like mid journey can give you an entire, you can prompt it to do the whole thing and then you can touch it up and be like, it's mine now. Right. And like, that's where people start to get really like, I don't know, you know, cause like the rest of us have been doing it from zero without any sort of intermediary steps for a long time. And it sort of, it feels like it undermines like the work that we do. Um, but I actually don't think it does. And it's, um, that's kind of a, a wait and see type of thing. I actually don't feel threatened by AI. I don't know if that's something where, you know, you, maybe there's a future where like, you know, a, an AI tool is prompting me to do a podcast, but I don't, I don't think, uh, I would be interviewed by an AI anytime soon. I think like there's cool things, but it, it, it falls so short in, uh, areas where it matters right now. It's just cool, but I haven't seen it in, in, in music anyway, and specifically in music, I haven't seen it starting to, to be used in places that say like, would put people out of a job. Not yet. Mm. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, but I'm actually really curious what you think about that too. Cause, uh, I'm sure you've been thinking about this quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I, I find it very interesting. I mean, like everything, it's a tool. Uh, and I, I personally feel with any new technology, you have to, you have to be an adapter or you have to learn to utilize it. If you try and fight it too much, then you just kind of end up like the dinosaur and you just go extinct. So I think you have to find a way to use it. I mean, I, I played around with it. I actually took Mick Gordon's uh, Polymos track from Killer Instinct and mm. used all the stems. And then I used yeah. it to make a little bit of a hip hop sample from it, which was cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. But um, I mean... Did you utilize that at all with the Atomic Heart soundtrack or did they actually give you the stems? No, that's what I used for the Atomic Heart soundtrack. They were they just had the original songs. I don't know if there are stems for any of those. But yeah, I had to I had to separate that. Some folks on the soundtrack it sounds like they didn't. Uh, but some folks did and it's cool to see who did and who didn't and how those uh, songs end up, you know, if you don't separate the stems, you're kind of working with the whole song and so the way that you sample and the choices you make in the song become totally different. Um, makes me wonder if I didn't have those tools, like what, what would these covers even sound like? I have no idea. Like the, the Alakino remix you did, right? Which is originally a circus track, pretty much. Right. Carnival type. <laughs> and you turned it into like this, this metal type track, which is cool. Yeah. And I guess you yeah. only could do that because of the fact that you had the stems, but even when it yeah. separates it, it doesn't do it clearly, right? You have some phasing issues and there can be like little, uh, muddy and clipping issues can't there so do you have to try and clean it up first before you utilize the sample yeah totally there are some algorithms that will give you more vocal and give you a little bit of bleed as well so instead of trying to deal with say phasing issues where where you're losing whole parts of a word or like the whole i don't know maybe a drum beat hits at the same time and it just sounds like the vocals just drop out for a sec instead of that you end up getting the whole vocal and all the instruments and stuff sort of kind of floating in and out occasionally. And I actually prefer that because I can go in and clean that up much better because the information's all there. And in every single track, that was the case. Another thing that's cool about the AI tools is you, you often don't hear it in context, but when you separate out stems, sometimes you can pick up the weird, maybe like rough edges or mistakes that got made during the recording process. Cause you can hear the vocals, like especially some of the older tracks uh, you know, they don't have a lot of compression and stuff on them in every take. So you can hear people singing with the microphone. They're kind of doing this with the mic. <laughs> and that's just the recording. That's actually not like an issue with the stem splitter. It's like, they just didn't, you know, people are singing and they're getting into it and they're moving back and they're going over here and you just have to deal with that, you know? And for me, that's like, 
kind of doing surgery on it and going in and compressing stuff and changing volumes. And I had to do a lot of kind of EQ tricks to make sure that everything sort of sounded consistent. Pop music is very flat, you know, like the vocals are like, like that, um, yeah. where it's not yep, just a sausage. So it's, it's not like that with some of the older tracks and a big part of that process for every song was to sort of modernize the vocals, um, and make them sound a little bit more like a regular pop track. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. Like say with metal, uh, vocals don't tend to be right front and center, right? Say with like maybe pop music. So was that something right. you kept in mind when you were doing the the different tracks? Like one that was more pop oriented as opposed to metal oriented where you wanted maybe the guitars louder? Yeah, I think I think it sort of depended. I did use some mixed references um, to, you know, listen to bands and stuff that I like to, to see how they balance things. Um, I was surprised at hearing some of those bands, noticing that the vocals were dropped so far back. I was like, maybe that's too much. Like, you know, I had to pull them up forward. Um, I did still get some feedback. You know, we're talking about seeing the one negative comment in a sea of positive comments. I, I would still get occasionally feedback about vocals being too quiet. You know, they uh, somebody went on YouTube, they they used the stem splitter and they remastered Arlecchino. And it's just the same track with the vocals turned up like 6 dB. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Like if you can't hear it, like that's cool. But I, I, that wasn't the mix reference I used. You know, I'm more of a, a metal oriented person where the, the vocals definitely sit. They, they kind of are sit a little bit back and there's sort of a texture amongst everything else. And you can hear them, but they're not the most important thing. Um, but yeah, um, but then like the more poppy tracks, like, um, like Stoyat Devchanki, I, I brought those vocals up pretty far because I was more like an EDM style. So yeah, it sort of depended. Um, and it's all to taste a little bit too. I think you start getting into like, you know, what you think is best territory. It's not, there's no hard rule for any of that stuff really. Yeah. So with your Doom-esque remixes, I suppose we, we'll call them, uh, obviously I'm guessing your Patreon make a lot of the suggestions in terms of the tracks that you do. You know, actually, uh, they don't because it's not really the Patreon's mostly focused on music production. So okay. the way that, uh, yeah, so I, I do a lot of uh, deep dives and I publish stems for yeah, all the yeah. songs. And then at higher tiers, I have a Discord that's patron only. Um, and I've also invited a bunch of professional musicians and, and friends of mine uh, into the server to sort of help, you know, like if folks are, uh, if I'm not around, but folks have questions, I've got kind of like, people that I know sort of do lots of different genres and, you know, we can all sort of enjoy all the types of music together, which is really great. Um, I'm very active in there. And I think that's right now, anyway, it's that. And then, um, you know, sadly, I haven't had as much time as I, I used to, but um, there was like a software component as well, where, you know, at the beginning um, when I was working on the, uh, the Argent compressor um, and I was doing some of those, um, the sample packs and stuff, all those folks in Patreon get early access or even beta access to things. So that, uh, that has been good, but yeah, I'd say it's mostly it's music production oriented and, and the vast, vast majority of the, uh, stuff that I talk about with patrons has, has been about music, listening to their music or sharing ideas or things like that. Right. So how do you decide what remixes to do when you do them? Um, I mostly, I, I will ask the community sometimes. Um, I also tend to know like what people want to hear i get a lot of comments on youtube like the the dark souls and the bloodborne and the elden ring covers were things that people just kept commenting over and over and over again and usually the way that it goes is like i'll just see the volume of stuff and i'll go if people are asking that much then maybe i should vet this and then what i'll do is i'll go in and be like 
how many people are playing the game? Does the soundtrack already have a lot of listeners? Do people know the songs? You know, like there's older Nintendo stuff that I think people have, um, you know, a lot of nostalgic feelings for, but it turns out the audience is extremely small, you know, and I, uh, I would want to do those, but at the same time, like if I can only do at this point, I don't know, maybe one remix a month now, you know, and I've only got 12 to pick, like I have to sort of pick the ones I know that will get some traction. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing like pop music. I'm not just like going for the biggest numbers, but I, I want to do things that I think there'll be an audience for. Of course. I've so. seen when yeah. I, yeah, when I've seen over, especially last year, I did a few that I knew had a smaller audience and people really liked the song, but just everything across the board, it just didn't really, you know, it was the small audience liked it and that was it. And I was like, well, there's not really an opportunity for me to, to share with the wider audience. People either listen or they don't. And so, you know, I pick things that I, I think people have at least heard of or, or think about on a regular basis. You know, I want to make it like, even if you're not for me, I wasn't playing Elden Ring, but I knew enough about it to be like, even I enjoy this. I know the music a little bit. I know, you know what I mean? So, um, there's, uh, there's some factors like that that go into it. Um, yeah, it's, there's a, it's like a little vetting process that I have internally. It's really I have a big a, list of ideas. It's really interesting as well, because you don't know what the YouTube algorithm does in terms of how it suggests your music right on the, on the front page. So that's, that's right. another thing. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, one of my personal favorites by you is the, the super Metroid Ridley Ridley one that you right. did. Yeah. Cause I saw on your Twitter. So is this actually true that you got the idea from playing smash brothers? Is that what, cause you to have idea because i saw that there's a picture there where you've got the doom slayer and ridley and you're like uh, idea actually other way around that one so there was supposed to be a super smash brothers style cover there's supposed to be and i was working with somebody who was modding smash brothers to put uh, doom guy in the game and that's what you see is a picture of that um now the having ridley in there was coincidental that was like not uh, that was not what the idea was. I was teasing this idea of doing the Super Smash Brothers thing and just sort of waiting on um, the other creator to to finish that work. Sadly, it fell to the wayside. There was a bunch of other things that happened that sort of uh, stopped that in its tracks. But the idea would have been cool. And like the Skyrim cover that I did, being able to show it off with an actual mod in the game, I think is like really, really cool. And that would have been, you know, to do the video, we were actually going to do like a little bit of an advertisement uh, for this mod and I would like write the music for the mod too. So it would sort of be like a win-win It just never worked out, which is a bummer, but, uh, it would have been really sick. Mm. Cause how long did that mod take to do? Well, cause I saw the video. I know what oh. video you're talking about. It would have taken, a, it would have taken a long time. Uh, <laughs> you know, by the time it, he had been working on it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, some, some unfortunate events happened around, uh, that mod in particular. So it is what it is, but, um, I can even, I don't know if they're, you know, if they're still doing stuff, they might still be. I could send you a link to uh, the creator. Can, yeah, you can see. Yep. I don't yeah. know if you're an avid Smash player at all, but. Oh, uh, yeah, I am. I am. Yeah. yeah so. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably not on the level of some of these elite people that play online, you know, freaks nah, of nature. There. Not at all. Yeah. Because do you work, in, you, you work in conjunction with a team, right? You must have a, a group of people that you work with when you're doing these covers. Like, does somebody uh, yeah. help with the editing or, or the uh, artwork and, and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So at first it was just me and, and the artist, Kina. And then uh, as I kind of found that, you know, things were getting a little more traction, um, I had a little bit of budget to start 
working with an editor who is a, a good friend of mine. Um, his name is Dan, also known as Space Bear. Um, he's a, he works with the, the Game Grumps guys quite a bit. And uh, he's a fantastic editor. And so now it's kind of like us three. We have a little little uh, separate Discord chat and we sort of do all the, the, the you know, the the evil planning there. And um, uh, it's been good. I think it's been, a, it's a consistent process and uh, both of them are, are just wonderful people to work with and, and really, really amazing at their crafts. And um, I couldn't ask for a better team. I don't know if like, I don't know what YouTubers typical team size is for people who do content like this. I can't imagine it's a lot of people like, you know, we can get a lot done just the three of us. Um, but some gaming channels, you know, maybe, they have maybe there's more people that gather footage or things like that. I don't really know that part of the process yet. Yeah. It just actually dawned on me because you're working on Viscera Fist and Atomic Heart, and you're still managing your channel and trying to do all the stuff in Discord. And I suppose you're still creating, doing the, the remix stuff at the same time. So you're trying to manage all that stuff at the same time. Is that what, what was happening? Or did you did you delegate that to somebody? No, I mean, some of what happens is stuff falls to the wayside. So as things got really busy with Atomic Heart and with Viscera Fest, I found myself being in Discord chat less, or I found myself not making a YouTube video for four or five months, right? So that stuff can happen. Um, and that's the limits of being a single person. Like uh, the channel is, all of these things can really only exist in their current state with me being there. And I just have to like choose what I think is important at what time. And, you know, if for some reason YouTube ends up being less of an important thing for me, it doesn't mean that people will have to leave. It doesn't mean I'm done with it, but it just means I have to set new expectations. Like, hey, I'm going to be uploading when I can as opposed to every week or something like that. So um, even now it's starting to slow down quite a bit. But mm. that's, it is what it is. Because you've, you've mentioned previously that you would like to conceptualize doing, say, audio software with a team, right? As opposed to just being a creative person. It, it, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So is that yeah, something so you kind of, have in the pipeline or is it just an idea that it's in the back of your head that you'll do at some point yeah it's nothing that i've like really done yet i mean for i'd say for like one example a small time example of this is like the argent compressor where you know it was myself and the developer and then um a third person to uh kind of be quality control and, and test in, in different scenarios um and that was that was a very typical situation to when I used to work in tech, like as a product manager, that was like, you know, I would be like the voice of the customer and then, you know, the developer would make the changes and then we'd bring it in and we'd show it to other folks who are composers and would get feedback. And it all, it was very familiar and it worked out great. Um, and I, I can do that all day long. You know, if, if it came down to it, like if music never really worked out for the best, but I found myself making, I don't know, uh, drum distortion for the rest of my life. Like, I could do that. Like it, you know, like it's, it's a good time and I understand this, the space and, um, I really like technology and maybe I'll get back into coding a little bit. Like, I don't know. It could be cool, but I don't do that much right now. Yeah. Are you, are you quite structured in terms of routine? Like, do you set out your day or you, do you have a bit more of a more sp spontaneity in terms of I, how you do stuff? I am structured in terms of, I'm good at keeping to a calendar. But I do like to work in a black box because if any, if a manager for somewhere actually saw what I do on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of when I choose to do things, what time of day and or night I choose to do things, they'd be like, this person has no concept of time. And it's true. Like, you know, when I'm in that flow state, I just am in that flow state and, uh, but stuff gets done. And I think that's the most important stuff. Like, you know, I'm getting things, I can deliver stuff 
in a in a timely manner um and i'm not uh in terms of how i get there i think it's less important you know i i hope nobody nobody should set up a camera in my apartment and, and watch me decide to open a session at two in the morning <laughs> you know there's a lot of judgment there really do you sometimes do that uh i did a little bit last night yeah uh you know if i if i can't sleep or something like that i'll just be like what do i need to do whatever i'll just go and work on something there's always something going on that i could be working on um but yeah but yeah i mean it screws up i don't work technically i don't work a day job i don't work a nine to five right I, I mean, no it's, weird. It's, it's all over the place i guess yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so like what is time like it does i don't know it's like <laughs> it just matters that things happen you know and, and that's uh that's it except for like getting to meetings like you know the i don't ever want to get to the point where doing a 1 p.m podcast becomes a challenge that i can't get out of bed like that, that would be bad news but yeah. like besides that you know it doesn't really matter i think so what happens if you have an idea let's say you have a musical idea you've got some melody that's just come in your head or a riff or something and you're nowhere near your computer you're at mcdonald's or something i don't know if you're right. at mcdonald's but just hypothetically do you have something do you record something in your phone or you just what do you what do you do um, yeah, sometimes it'll be a phone thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll make a note, but you know what? Actually, a lot of times I, I don't record it. It's really strange. Like I can get, I do most of my work in the work time. Like when I'm in my session, like the ideas will happen and I, I can sit down and I've gotten pretty good at finding ways to get myself back into that creative state. Um, when a project starts, um, or sometimes like it never leaves my head, like it's not about ideas popping into my head when I'm at McDonald's. It's about the fact that I've been looping the song in my head since before I left for McDonald's, you know, and it never goes away. So by the time I'm back, I'm already there. You know, like I really, I really, uh, I get hyper-focused and I, it's like, it becomes it kind of all encompassing when I'm in like a session, when I have a day that I'm kind of working on something. Um, and so I don't know, it just it sort of spins in my head. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a phone full of ideas like Taylor Swift, you know, it's, it's just uh, when I'm, when I'm in the session, it happens and that's, yeah, that's how it works. So how do you combat things that could disrupt your day? Like say ear fatigue, that's one thing. Obviously you need to take yeah. breaks or writer's block. How do you deal yeah. with these type of problems? Yeah, ear fatigue, pretty normal problem for me. Um, I just have to, a lot of times what will happen is like, I know I can tell when I have ear fatigue and I know that things are going to be harder to hear, especially after, I don't know, eight hours of just listening to the same thing over and over again. Um, most of that is just spacing things out on a day-to-day, -day, you know, like being like, I need to come back tomorrow. I need to come back in two days and listen again. Like that's a pretty easy solution. Um, and then it clears my mind and a lot of other things. I stopped focusing on that one thing, that one snare drum or whatever I've been editing for, you know, two hours. Um, and in terms of writer's block, which I have run into before, um, what I found mostly is that the writer's block for me doesn't come from a lack of ideas. It comes from a lack of interest. I find myself like if, if I'm writing things and I get no like dopamine response from the things I'm writing, then I have writer's block. But a lot of it, I, I feel like I, it becomes alleviated when I sleep better and when I listen to other music and when I do other things and I can get excited about stuff, about other songs. And, and then I'm like, oh, maybe I can use that, right? Like it's, it's just, I think a lot of folks who do creative work we're working with our emotions as our guide because there's not like a hard and fast rule for anything. But if you're just not excited about anything, nothing sounds good and you don't want to write anything. So I try to find reasons to be excited about music um, and, and uh, try to kind of 
get into new things and and maybe revitalize my interest in some older things I haven't visited in a while just to get back into it. Like, I don't know, it's a mental state. It's a, it's a weird form of meditation in a way. I guess that's the best way I could put it. Yeah, because you mentioned you sometimes can't sleep. So do are you still, because you had a problem with insomnia, didn't you, at one point? Yeah, yeah, I still I do. Still, I, yeah, I still do. It's, it's more like um, when I fall asleep is the hardest part. It's not, it's not that I can't sleep sometimes. It's like, even last night, like I just couldn't, I just couldn't find a a reason to be tired. And I would lay down and I'd just be like, uh, but I still want to finish up this one thing. Or I'd listen to a song that I'm working on. I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to sleep until I edit this, this, and this, you know? And, and I, uh, that happens a lot, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at it. I think that that's maybe a lot, my lack of routine kind of on a day-to-day basis, uh, can contribute to sleeping worse. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's just something I, I just figure out, <laughs> like, you know, as long as I'm sleeping enough, if I'm tired, that's bad. But if I'm sleeping weird hours, that's not as bad. It's just strange. And I can't hang out with anybody because everybody's asleep all the time. Yeah. But I suppose it comes with the territory, right? Because you can't really, routine doesn't determine creativity or inspiration. So. Right. You yeah. Kind of just have to do yeah, it. It's weird though. You know, the band, uh, maybe this is a, a dated reference because I remember listening to these guys like a decade ago, but um, you know, no Dada life. The, uh, how old are they? The two. <laughs> well, they got to be, they're probably in their late 30s or 40s now. I mean, they, they've been around. I remember, you know, they were like 2010. They were, they were making like house music. Um, right. And uh, they put out a plug-in. They put out a, a couple, Endless Smile and the Sausage Fattener were their two big plugins. And um, I remember watching an interview with them and they were talking about routine. And one of the things that they talked about was going to the studio, work a nine to five. Don't worry about overdoing it it's not you know the consistency is the most important part and uh i think that was good advice i I think about that a lot you know regardless of my weird timing i'm not working a nine to five specifically but uh the consistency is important you know getting into the studio sitting down and doing it every day um you're gonna get more or less per day but on average you'll you'll still be able to make music you're not gonna get stuck because you're coming back to it and you're getting back into the rhythm every single day i think that's probably that's like better, better and more boring advice than any creative writing hack or anything like that. It's just, just show up and do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's probably would work better if you're a family oriented person or you've got kids. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't I'm, know not, I'm not sure if you if do a, or not, but yeah. no, if I, if I had even a dog, I think my schedule would be very regimented and you're <laughs> like, I, I actually do miss working in an office. You know, I had to show up at a particular time of day. And my schedule sort of became that, you know, I, if I, if I had to show up at nine, I would be there at nine and I'd be tired and I'd go to bed and I'd be there at nine the next day. And, um, I do, I do miss the external input, you know, being needing to be places at certain times on a regular basis does help structure wise, having to care for people, having to care for pets, things like that. It it can help with Mm. a routine. Um, I'm sure that'll change. Maybe I should get a dog. Maybe this, this is the whole point of this. This is the lesson I'm learning in this podcast. Maybe, maybe. With in yeah. regards to office work, though, mm-hmm. like now, I I imagine back then you would have had to deal with traffic issues because if if you're just working, I I'm guessing you work out of your house, right? That's where you do most of your music, so you don't yeah, have to. Nowadays, yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to travel. So therefore, you have more time. So therefore, you're able to utilize right. it more effectively effectively as opposed to sitting in traffic for like i don't know two hours or whatever you were doing back in the day yeah exactly yeah i um 
I talk to folks, a lot of folks, the patrons and, and not patrons who uh, do music as a part-time thing. You know, they have a day job and they come home and they work on music for a couple of hours. And, you know, if I ever get questions like, wow, how did you do this so fast? Like it takes me so long to work on music and stuff. I'm like, well, don't underestimate how much time you don't have on a day-to-day -day basis because you do it part-time. Like that's just the nature of it. And when I was working in a day job and doing music part-time, I always felt like I just never had enough time to really pump out music and, and get good. I felt like I was always kind of like doing it for an hour at a time or two hours at a time, kind of grasping at it. Or I was really tired because I would double up, burn the candle at both ends, you know, work all night on something and then try to show up the next day at work, even though I didn't, you know, I sacrificed sleep for it. And I don't think that's good either. It's a hard, it's a really tough position to be in. And like, I, I got lucky, but I totally understand when people feel frustrated by that. Um, so, you know, there are things like getting, I'd say time is even nowadays doing this full-time time is the hardest thing for me. If I had, if there were two of me and if I could double the amount of time in a day, I think I would be happy, you know, but that's just not how life is. So, um, cutting down on things like being able to drive, being able to be closer to your office, for example, and, um, or, or walking, not having to drive. If you're lucky enough to do that, you know, all those little things do improve quality of life. They do improve creativity. They improve your ability to, to do more music. If that's what you want to be doing to practice your instrument or to, or do something else entirely to, to watch TV. If you, you don't have enough time to do that, you know, like there's a, I, I, yeah, there's a lot there and there's a whole commentary about living in the United States and how it's a car oriented country and all that stuff too. But like, we don't have to talk <laughs> about that. I think it's hard for people. Like, you know, there's a, there's more walkable places to live. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to a game developer who, who used to work at Naughty Dog, and he said that some of his colleagues were commuting in LA two and a half hours one yeah. way, some of them, which is insane. That's that insane. Is insane. That is not good mentally. Uh, so And yeah, so there'll be millions of people who, who do that on a day-to-day -day basis, and then somehow have to come home and do music. It's it's crazy. But no, uh, you can't. Yeah. Do you, if, if you're watching a movie, if you're just trying to relax and something, do you feel guilty sometimes that you should be doing more music? <laughs> yeah. It's a story of my life. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I even recently, I just got the, um, the Metroid prime remastered. Nice. Right? Uh, great game. And I have been trying to sit down to play it and yes, that will happen to me. I'll sit down and I'll, I'll start playing and I'll go, is this a good use of my time? Yes, it is, Jeff. Stop. Like it, it is. Just let yourself play a video game. Um, I'm there's a word for it. It's called workaholism. Like that's what I have. And uh I know where it comes from and I'm trying to combat it. Like you know, it's not a healthy lifestyle uh to be a workaholic and and being to giving yourself permission to do other things is like a big challenge with that. Um, and so I'm trying to find ways to do that. But yeah, it, it happens all the time. Basically, anything that's unresolved, any project that hasn't been fully finished fully submitted people don't need something from me it's just the only thing that's going on in my head you know like i have to clear my plate completely to feel like i'm allowed to take a vacation and that's just not the nature of being a contract worker like i am a musician there's always something else to do so um i'm trying to reframe that i'm, I'm sort of doing self-therapy and um you know remembering what an old therapist who i did talk to about this uh had said so just trying to trying to find new tools and new ways to, to allow myself to do things. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, challenging. The, the irony of what you say with regards to the whole video game thing and feeling guilty. Cause I, I've pretty much feel the same. I think how I've tried to alleviate it is I've tried to 
do streaming. Like I'll I'll do a live stream, play a game, because then yeah. I kind of feel like um interacting with the community. It's it's not as bad. Uh, you're helping to build your channel, I suppose, at the same time. So therefore, in my head, it feels like work. So I don't know. Have yeah. you tried different instances to try and trick your brain to think that you're working? Yeah. Well, yeah. Now that's maybe another thing is like should I be publicly facing all the time? You know, like I think about the streaming part and I'm like, do I want people to watch me play? Like, what is my problem here? Um, and you know, but actually, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to do something like that. But, um, yeah, it's like when you're a workaholic, if you're a workaholic, the, the solution is obviously, well, I think anyway, is just, it's not necessarily to find ways to work more, you know, like, to find ways to turn the play into work like there's it's there's like from uh, anyway that's like for me because like there's only so many i've already packed it full of work so like you know the idea is to like cut it back a little bit um i don't know like there's something to explore there for sure um and i'm not great at streaming i'm not good at, at uh live stuff i guess did it's, i tell you the first stream i ever did on youtube I marked it, as, it is yeah the first stream I ever did on YouTube, I marked it as this is for kids. I didn't even notice I did that. Like people are like, you're showing up next to like Yo Gabba Gabba. Like what? this is, is it, didn't even know I was on stream for like the first two minutes. Like I'm not, I'm not good at this yet. <laughs> oh, like practice, practice makes perfect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then what do you do for downtime? What do you do to try and de-stress? Yeah. I have friends in town, so I like to go see friends of mine, and um, a couple of them are really great cooks, so that's been nice. Nice. Um, go and they're putting you know little dinner part dinner parties together and stuff like that. Um, sometimes I see live music in town. Boston actually is a great town for lots of live music. Um, there's like no, there's very little heavy metal and game music stuff around here. Uh, surprisingly, actually, because Boston was known for heavy metal for a while, but. Uh, not that much, but I'll catch a lot of like country music or like, you know, bluegrass or folk music, tons of that around here, jazz, tons of jazz, because we have a music school here. Um, so that's things to do. I'm just finding reasons to get reasons to get out of the house. When you work and live in one place, like every time outside is cherished. Yeah. Know? Wouldn't you get like cabin fever almost when, I, when well, you're, yeah. yeah, your personal and your, your work are intertwined all in one place. Yeah 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 for sure yeah and the um uh during like the covid lockdowns that was a huge problem you know like because there was no reason for me to leave for months at a time right and like now that i'm working in a job where my work and my home are in the same place it's like did i ever stop living in the covid lockdown scenario you know mm. and so i i'm finding reasons because i don't have to go to an office or go anywhere um, I'm, I have to now make reasons to leave the house and go do things. And it's weird to think about that because for a lot of my life and a lot of people's lives, that isn't really a thing. You got places to go because people need you for stuff. And it's like, what if every possible thing, every reason you left the house <laughs> was a choice. And I'm like, I'm realizing I choose not to leave the house a lot <laughs> because of that. You know, um, it's just, these are things I never thought I'd have to think about. You know, and I'm I'm in my early 30s, and it's like for 30 years I never had to think about this. It's just very weird. It's, yeah, it's a it's a weird lifestyle. A good lifestyle, though. I think a lot of people it is probably great. probably uh, covet for a lifestyle like that. 
Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's freeing, but it's, you, there are so many things you don't realize you have to now think about when you sort of everything, when you work for yourself, if you've never worked for yourself, this is like anybody who just kind of runs a business on your own time management becomes a really weird thing because everything you do is your choice and you know, you making money is your choice and you everything, but you know, it comes with trade-offs comes with different being nervous about different things. So final, final question before uh, I let you go, but where do you see the, the Argent metal scene evolving over the next decade, I suppose, because it's, it's in its infancy still. Yeah, it is. So I think there's still a lot of room. I think the biggest thing where it stands out is um, even nowadays when I listen to new bands and uh, kind of metal projects, um, there is a, a clear emphasis on the guitar and drums and bass, like the the playing part of it, right? And the electronic production is always sort of bucketed into like this post-production area. And you're there's not a lot of kind of tight blend right there's a couple of bands i mean like um i know three teeth does a bunch of stuff like this and um you know we're sort of getting into like the industrial territory and the uh where the synthesizers are like a core part of the song and the sound production and the sound design is like a, it adds um a very like if you removed it the song would not be the same um and if people cover it without those parts the song wouldn't be the same and we're not quite there yet, but I think that's where Argent metal lives. Right. A good example of this is I saw someone cover one of the songs I did for atomic heart, one of the originals, and they mostly didn't do the sound design stuff. And I was like, this song sounds totally different now. Like it, it's a cover. Yeah. But like, there were like key parts of that song that I realized kind of after the fact were designed into the song. They weren't part of the playing. They were like, a sound effect that was meant to continue the melody, but it wasn't a playable part. And uh, that is what I think the difference is. It's, it's, it's a perfect blend between electronic and metal music in the metal world. It's not dance music. Um, and I think we'll see more of that. You know, um, It seems like people lean one way or the other. They, they tend to be very electronic people or very guitar based drums people, but never right in the middle. And uh, I want to hear a ton more of that. I think I think there's a meeting where we'll create a whole new genre of things. There's tools. The tools are are few and far between right now. But as we get more tools, production tools and and uh, interfaces and and um, you know playable instrument MIDI type things, I think uh, this will get easier for people. Um, it's just not very accessible right now. It's still hard. It's a long process. A lot of sound design. A lot of skills needed all at once. But um, I think we're slowly but surely getting to the point where it's becoming accessible, and then we'll start to get. Um, a whole new wave of really awesome kind of electronified metal that uh, nobody's ever really heard before. Um, so stuff that, you know, Doom was the first good example of it, but I know it is bigger than Doom. I know it lives in a world where Doom is one small part of a bigger movement. I, I am 100% sure of that. So. Mm. Mick must be familiar with your stuff, surely. He's definitely, he's seen it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. So he did he has he commented on it or what does he what does he think do you know? Well, only he probably he only commented on it one time, and he asked me to cover. Well, it was mostly probably a joke. Asked me to cover the Crazy Bus song, uh, <laughs> and I assumed it was the atonal one that has no you know melody or whatever. Um, immediately turned that into a video because I thought that was a really funny thing to do. Um, but 
I totally understand if he saw me do that and decided never to comment again. <laughs> cause I, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the, cause that's, that's the thing is the audience sees the comment comment immediately becomes the first thing everybody sees because everybody sees him comment. And then they, the internet wants to see me do something about that. And like, that's, that's how the internet works. But I, maybe I, he, maybe I he knew understand. that and he did that intentionally just to, just maybe to, just to mess with you. Maybe, I don't you know, know, I may, I may never know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's possible. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, I don't take myself very seriously on the internet. You know, the internet is a weird place it is. full of, uh, unique and interesting people and who love being silly and ridiculous and whatever. And I think that's, it's great. So who knows? I don't know, but, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure he's, I don't know. We don't really chat that much. So if I chat to him again, I, I might ask him, I'll ask him for yeah. you. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't know. Do you have any idea when volume two of the soundtrack's coming out? Uh, no, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's weird. Cause it's, it's hard to know who worked on what. Cause Obviously, there was so many musicians involved, and Mick did the soundtrack. But then I, I still can't quite, because uh, I'm like, uh, did Mick do this, or did someone else do it that's similar to Mick? Like, yeah, you don't want to just assume that. Uh, yeah, Mick just did everything yeah. that was, because I, I listened to the whole soundtrack like a day or two, which is like four hours or however long it is, because right. um, someone's ripped it now and put it on YouTube, and I, I listened yeah, to the whole exactly. thing, and I was thinking, okay so i think this is mick i think mick did this but then you don't know yeah you don't really know so um and he wasn't yeah, he wasn't right. involved at all in volume one so yeah, yeah exactly yeah a lot of this was a surprise to me too i was learning about this on the same day as everybody else seeing how things were were packaged up also hearing game rips you know all that stuff was new to me and um i know that a large amount of the music so uh What's his name? Andre Bugrov, the yeah. also the audio director, um, has done a bunch of music as well. So I imagine what we'll see, assuming there is a volume two, I don't know why there wouldn't be, uh, we'll probably see a, a good chunk of music done by him. Um, but he's been on the project for a long time. He was, um, you know, one of the core team members. So the uh, we'll probably see that. And then, you know, the rest is, I guess, speculation. You know, if you I listen to music and I go, I'm guessing this is or isn't a certain artist because I have a sense of maybe what their styles are and whatever, but uh, you can't be sure until they publish the the final list. So, you know, who knows? I, I am, I am really curious if they've finished ripping all the music out, you know, cause I've heard a lot of it already, but like, is that all of it? You know, cause that, <laughs> you know, I, I want to be surprised, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, I, I get uh, requests all the time to get Mick back on. And I'm mm. sitting here, I'm like, well, do I wait for volume two? Do I reach out to yeah. him now? Like, when do I reach out to him? Yeah. He might not even reply. Know. Who knows? You know, yeah. you never know. But anyway. It's worth a try. And, yeah. you, and you're talking about, you got to get the, the poster signed anyway. So you got two reasons to. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get him to, got to get him to sign it. But um, this has been cool, man. This has been cool talking to you. I mean, I'm one of those internet lurkers. So I've been watching you for, for quite a while. I don't, I don't really comment much, but I've been watching you yeah. for a while. And it's, as I said earlier at the beginning, like it's, it's been cool watching your rise and now mm -hmm. that you're actually working on games as well. So I'm really, I'm really interested to see where your career goes from here. Cause yeah, yeah. yeah it's happening really so it. fast, like yeah. crazy yeah. fast. Right. It's, it's not going to continue with that clip. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a blip. It's, you know, now we're getting to the, the, 
the plateau and the getting used to it kind of thing. But yeah, it's, uh, I really, uh, even if you're not commenting, I, I appreciate that you've been watching the stuff and that you're interested in the, the stuff that I'm doing. I, um, I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of the questions that, uh, you brought up in this interview because I was like, Hey, I think he's seen some of the other interviews and some of the other stuff really, I mean, your research is great. So, um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, you do a lot of research, right? When you're doing your deep dives before you do, cause you have, you have the track that you release and then you've got the, right. all the research and, and the stuff beforehand, which is really cool. Right. Cause you, yeah. you obviously do deep dives. So yeah, yeah, it all, it all helps, but this has been cool, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose best place to follow you, what Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you're on pretty much everything, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Content, uh, is YouTube. Uh, I do have an Instagram and a Twitter and I'm, I'm pretty active on there. Um, I did mention a discord, but that's Patreon only. Um, but you're more than welcome to join if that's something you're interested in. And I'm very active in there. That's sort of like my main, if you want to ask me a question, like I'm on the computer. So, um, it's the, yep, it's those places. And, um, I don't think there is a TikTok, but I don't look at it. So don't worry about it. And, It'll probably be banned and, soon anyway. So you won't have to worry. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's not a good investment. Um, yeah. Just those Twitter, Instagram, good place to start. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And uh, until next time, stay safe.